It's been a good week, a busy week. Those of you who were here this past week, you know what I mean by that. As it's been said, there's no tired like VBS tired, especially VBS day five tired. And so uh, I wanted to give the workers a little bit of break, and so we didn't um, take down the decorations in here. But I also will be doing that this week. But I want to also want to remind us to, one of the reasons why we have the decorations up still is so that we might continue to pray for the children who came. You know, VBS isn't just a one-and-done um, activity. Um, Renee had talked about doing BBS this week as well. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, Renee, I know Renee did not say that. Um, but uh, I want to remind you to pray for the children, for the community, uh, for the families and the community. Tonight we're going to be going out and uh, following up on some of those families. We had about 60 kids, as Renee mentioned, throughout that come, came here throughout the week. And several of those families mark that they don't have a church home or they don't go to church anywhere. And so I want to follow up with those families. And I don't know, I was downstairs uh, whenever Renee was giving the announcements. I don't know if she mentioned the good news, the great news. I was going to email everybody last night. I forgot to do so. But uh, there was a salvation. Uh, little Ky- Kylie Jones, Trisha's granddaughter, came to know Christ. Um, it was exciting. She came with Trisha to my office door and wanted to talk to me about the fact she wanted to trust in Christ and wanted to repent of her sins. And we had a great little meeting in my office for about 15 minutes or so. So pray for Kylie, pray for her sister Aiden, um, pray for that family. Um, we have been praying, uh, many of you know, for Trisha and her family for a long time now. So it's great news. And as has already been said, we raised close to $500 for Operation Christmas Child, which was just amazing. It was It's always neat to see the the boys and girls come with their coins, their pennies, their nickels, their dimes, their quarters. In fact, on I always forget to go to the bank during the day, and then I want to do so first thing in the morning for VBS, and so it's hard to get uh, rolled up pennies, nickels, and dimes. And uh, But I did so Friday, was it Thursday? Thursday evening. I got to the bank right before it closed, or actually over at the the little area in Kroger, got several rolls of pennies, um, planning to give them to the boys as they came in on Friday. And, and uh, you know, there, there's no conspiracy there, just uh, helping out my boys. And then, um, then to come to find out, Sadie had uh, exchanged quite a bit of money. Uh, we'll just say 40 rolls of pennies. I'll let you do the math. Uh, and so she helped the girls clobber the boys that day. But uh, it was a great... Great week. Um, again, it's just amazing to see their generosity to go towards Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child. But as I went around the classrooms throughout the week, I thought about all the children and, and the excitement and how great the week was that they were learning about Jesus, memorizing a Bible verse. In fact, Second Peter 1.3 is a difficult Bible verse. I don't think I've ever been part of a VBS where the Bible verse was that long. But uh, many of, the, of them learned it, memorized it. But I thought about as I was going to the classes, you know, it's good that they're hearing um, Bible stories. It's good that they're memorizing a Bible verse. But I thought about particularly the children that are part of families that are not in church, that don't go to church, or maybe their um, parents don't believe, and all that they're being taught at home. Or maybe, uh, I mean, we're all being taught something, and maybe the things that they're not being taught. Um, it made my heart sad, and it reminded me of our roles and our obligation, um, not just in the church, because we are called to teach our children, in, and we have Bible study classes that do that, um, from Sarah and, and um, Donna. 
and Courtney and other teachers who have taught um, our children. We're so thankful for them, Cassie and others. Um, but not just as a church, we have an obligation as parents and grandparents. It's our primary role to teach the children and to remind them of the truth. In fact, I, I saw this quote this packed past week from C.J. Mahaney said, Today the greatest challenge facing American evangelicals is not persecution from the world, but seduction by the world. And so it's our job as parents and grandparents to teach them the truth, to instill in them what is right, what is good. Um, as the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And so I submit to you this morning that the remedy for our children is the Word of God. We must teach them God's Word. So we're going to look at the importance of God's Word this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 3. I know I've been promising you that we are going to be turning to an expository uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through a particular book soon. We're going to start that next week through the book of Matthew. But this morning, let us turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to remind one another, I'm going to exhort us of the importance of reading God's holy word. So let us stand as we honor God's holy word and the reading and preaching of it. Second Timothy chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 10 for context, but we're really just going to focus on verses 14 through 17. Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes these words to Timothy, instructing him. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, we know that your word is true. And Lord, we know that you have given us your word so that we might know you. So Lord, we ask this morning that you might open our eyes to see the beauty of your word, to trust you, Lord, to obey you, and to follow you in all things. Father, let us not be gripped by guilt, but Lord, let us be gripped by your grace. Your grace has been shown to us, wicked, evil, deceitful men and women, people who have rebelled against you, but yet you have shown your kindness, your grace, and your mercy to us. So, Father, all of those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we have much to rejoice in. We have experienced your grace. We have seen your grace. So, Father, let us turn to your word, not out of fear or out of guilt, but because of your grace. You have gripped us. You have called us. 
Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not know you, who has not tasted and seen that you are good. Lord, I pray that they will turn to you this morning. Father, I pray that we will see and savor your son Jesus Christ as the risen king. He is our king. He is the Lord. So, Father, I pray that we will exalt him as such. I pray that we will come to you as a body of believers seeking to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And, Father, I pray that you will sanctify your people. These are your people. These are the people that you have called together to be a part of Haven Baptist Church. So, Father, won't you sanctify them and make them more like Christ? Lord, I pray that they will hear a sermon that is far better than the one that I have prepared. Lord, I pray that they will know your truth and live your truth out and that they will continue to be reminded that you are working in them through the power of your Holy Spirit. And by your Spirit, Lord, I pray that you will teach us, point us to Christ, so that we might live for Christ, deny ourselves daily, following your Son, Jesus Christ, because he is our only hope. He is the one whom all the covenants point to. He is the promised one. He is the one that fulfills your word completely. So, Lord, we see how inadequate we are, and we see how great your Son, Jesus Christ, is. So, Lord, I pray that you will continue the the work that you began by calling us, by saving us, and by sanctifying us. Lord, I pray that you will teach us your ways. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning, we're going to look at just a few verses from 2 Timothy, a wonderful little book, a wonderful a wonderful book that's often um, put with 1 Timothy and also Titus, which is, are known as the pastoral epistles. And these three books are often what pastors or elders refer to um, when, it, when we see instructions for leaders, for pastors in the church. But while they are also for pastors and elders, we must not think that they're not for us. They are for believers. They are for disciples as we seek to follow Christ. Well, there's several themes in Second Timothy. Paul was writing to Timothy um, against uh, false teachings of the day. And he's reminding Timothy, and we need this reminder as well, what is the gospel? And we see that the gospel is the basis for each believer in Christ to endure. The gospel is what has called us to God, and the gospel is what leads us to endure. And secondly, the second theme, there's several themes, these are just two that I'm picking out this morning. The scriptures have power to save, and they have power to preserve us. They have power to keep us, because they point us back to God, not to ourselves. So the second point is what I want to emphasize this morning, the power of the scriptures But before we get there, in verses 10 through 13, Paul is instructing Timothy, he's reminding Timothy of how he is different. He has been called by God, he has been called by the grace of God, and we see this even in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, Be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus, which you've heard from me, and in the presence of many witnesses. And so the God of grace, the grace that's called him, is the grace that keeps him. And so he reminds Timothy of how he is different. He is different from the false teachers. The false teachers were promoting secret knowledge. They were promoting secret things. They were promoting a gospel that was distorted and confusing. And so he reminds him of what the true gospel is. And he tells Timothy to continue in the faith, the faith of those who have gone before him. 
It's always encouraging to me to think that Christianity is not a thing of the 21st century only. It's not just 2018 only. It's not the religion of Americans only. It's not the religion of those in Alabama. It's not the religions of those in Madison only. But this is the religion that's been passed down before us. And so it's been passed on to us from many tribes, many tongues, many nations, many continents, many peoples from centuries ago believed this same gospel. That is good news. And so Paul tells Timothy, continue in the faith. A faith that is a genuine biblical faith is not just um, uh, a, 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 a knowledge uh, of, certain, of certain facts, but it's connected to Christ. So biblical faith is connected to Christ, and it results in fruit flowing from following Christ. So biblical faith is connected to Christ, and as we are connected to Christ, we will obey Christ. We will follow in his steps. So we, like Timothy, should have character and conduct that's consistent with the person and work of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean, as you've heard me say many times before, that doesn't mean we're perfect. Nobody here is perfect, but it does mean that we follow Christ. When we trip, when we stumble, when we sin, we repent. Christians repent. Christ follows repent, and we follow Christ. So our lives should be characterized by patience, by love and perseverance. This is what he's telling young Timothy in verses 10 and 11. He says, follow my conduct. And again, Paul was not on an ego trip. He was not all about me. But remember, what did Paul say? He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. And so, again, we are following Christ, and we should be characterized by patience, love, and perseverance. Perseverance is a major theme throughout this. I thought of this uh, quote. I've probably used it before. I love this. Spurgeon is quoted in almost every sermon. But Spurgeon famously once said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. And so again, Paul is telling Timothy, you must persevere. You must continue in the faith. The scriptures say, just a chapter earlier, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And so again, there is a future reward, a future inheritance as we continue in the faith. And Paul says, as he said many times before, this is not going to be easy. Just like Jesus, there was probably a temptation for many people to say, I'm out. I'm going the other way. This is too difficult. And Paul, too, says it's not going to be easy. You will suffer. You will be persecuted. And he says, many many things happen to me. He doesn't outline them here, but he does say that there was persecutions, there was sufferings in this place, in this place, in this place. They, they persecuted me. And they will persecute you as well. In fact, I think if we were to suffer some of the persecutions that Paul did, it would shock many evangelicals. We would doubt many things that we believe. But yet Paul continued on, and he didn't boast in the fact that, look at what I did, look at what I endured, look at what I persevered. He says, I endured, but the only way I endured was how? Through the Lord, through Christ Jesus. The Lord rescued me. He says, he says the, um, which persecutions I endured, as he talked about all these places, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. So we must recognize we will face persecutions on some level. Not to the level of Paul, not to those in the Middle East or in Northeast Africa or in Southeast Asia, perhaps. But we will on some level face persecution and we must persevere. 
So continue on in verse 12, he says, he tells us in verse 12, uh, if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. So if we're to grow in godliness, if we're to live according to the way of Christ, persecution is to be expected and it's necessary. So these are things that we must prepare for in advance. When we persevere amidst persecution, it shows our loyalty to Christ, and it also distinguishes us from the false teachers. Paul calls them imposters and the false teaching in verse 13. It's clear imposters, as we see here in 2 Timothy and whole and throughout the New Testament, are not loyal to the gospel. They are changing the gospel. They are advocating a different knowledge, a different different truths. They're not loyal to Christ. They're loyal to themselves and their own agenda. But for those who know God, those who are disciples of Jesus, we must continue in the gospel. This is what we read in verse 14. This is where we're going to focus now in verses 14 through 17. He says, as for you, continue in what you have learned. Remember what you have been taught. Continue in the truth. Follow the ways that have been passed on to you. And so we are to continue in the gospel. Paul again contrasts those who propagate evil with Timothy. Timothy who knows the truth. He tells him to continue in what he has learned and to, and to believe it firmly. We are not We must remember this. We are not to move on from the gospel. It's not the gospel. Okay, I believe that. Now, what's more exciting? What's more important? It's still the gospel. The gospel must be applied to every aspect of life and every stage of life. So we are changed by the gospel. We are called by the gospel. And we continue in the gospel. The gospel tells us that God sent Jesus. That God planned and predestined for Jesus to come. That God sent Jesus in fulfillment of the prophecies according to the line of David. We see in Matthew in just a uh, a couple weeks, he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died a, a perfect death and rose victoriously from the grave. And what is he doing now? He's exalted at the right hand of the Father. So this is the gospel. By the power of the Holy Spirit, our eyes are open to see the risen Jesus as King, Lord and Savior. It is through Him alone that we receive forgiveness of sins. So salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. This is clear in what we read in verse 15. What does verse 15 say? Verse 15, it says, How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, Paul is again instructing Timothy, remember what you've been taught. Remember the sacred writings. And this goes with what we see earlier in the book in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He says, I'm reminded, Paul telling Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. So, Timothy received instruction from Paul, from other mentors, but most notably from his mother, from his grandmother. They instructed him in the ways of the faith that formed his faith, a faith that was passed down from generation to generation, from grandmother to grandson. 
we see the faithfulness of God's people teaching on the faithfulness of God. And we can't overlook the importance of our role, again, as parents, as grandparents. It's not to have someone else teach our kids, but we must teach our kids the truths of God's Word, to teach them the character of God, to teach them the necessity of faith, to teach them the sufficiency of Christ, to teach them the urgency of eternity, to teach them that to know God is to know Christ. This is what we must teach teach them. And also, as we teach them, we must pray for them. Pray for them as they go out. You know, not we know that we're not the only ones teaching them. As Vivian has reminded me before, she knows that other people were teaching Johansi and Khalifa, but she knows that God was protecting them. So we must pray for our children. We must teach them through multiple means of the ways of God. And so we see here Timothy was acquainted from his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, of the sacred writings. As Paul talks about the sacred writings, he's referring to the Old Testament. He's referring to what was written down and taught to him from his mother and grandmother, just as Paul taught people from the Old Testament. Paul was a great teacher and preacher, and what did he use as his text? The Old Testament. He pointed them, the old, he used the Old Testament. Did the Old Testament have Jesus in it? Of course, yes. Points us to Jesus, just like Jesus did on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. Look with me in Luke 24, 27. Beginning, this is, this is Jesus speaking. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke writing these words. And then later in verse 44, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, Jesus, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So all of the Old Testament points us to Jesus. Through these sacred writings, Timothy learned of Jesus Through the sacred writings, we receive knowledge and wisdom. And what kind of wisdom do we receive? Not a worldly wisdom, but a wisdom that leads to salvation. This is what we read in verse 15, a wisdom that draws us to salvation. And let me remind you again, salvation is found through faith alone in Christ alone. This is what we read here in verse 15. We must be reminded of these truths. Young Timothy is encouraged to continue in the faith, the faith that he heard from his childhood. Now, again, it sounds repetitive. You know, it'd be easy for Timothy to say, I already heard this. I know this. Give me something else, Paul. But why do we hear the gospel time and again? Why do I sound like a broken record sometimes? Because we forget the gospel. This is, I was encouraged of this conversation between Martin Luther and a church member that took place long ago. The church member said to Martin Luther, why do you preach the gospel to us week after week? Luther replied, because week after week, you forget it. We must remember that we never graduate from the good news that Jesus gives us more grace. We must remember these truths. And how do we learn these truths? From the scriptures. This is where we turn now in verses 15, 16, and 17 from the Scriptures. The Scriptures are powerful. The Scriptures point us to Jesus. The whole point of the Scriptures is they tell us a unified story that leads to Jesus, the exalted Messiah who came not only to save, but to reign forever. Look with me at the nature and the purpose of Scripture in verses 16 and 17. First, we see the nature 
of Scripture in verse 16. The nature of, of Scripture is that Scripture is breathed out by God. As we look at the nature of Scripture, we see the Spirit's role in guiding the biblical authors as they wrote God's Word to us. Now, there's a mystery there, I confess, that I don't understand all that's going on here in verse 16. If you do, I'd love to under, I'd love for you to share it with me. But there's a mystery here of what's going on. But what we do know is that God is bringing the writers together, and He's bringing the message to us so that we have exactly what we need, the words, for us today. And this coincides with what we read in 2 Peter 1, that God wrote the Scriptures and what we have is what we need and what we need is what God intended for us to have. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says this, knowing first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let me encourage you to memorize this, put this in your back pocket, because these are great verses to share with those who are skeptics, those who doubt the Word of God, those who try to distort it and say, well, it's been changed. No, God's Word is true. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's the Word of God given to us so we might worship God. This is what we have for us from God. Now listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 again. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We, we see God has a reason for His Word. We see that the Scriptures are inspired by God and they're breathed out by God in a unique, divine way. I love this quote by Tony Morita. Tony Morita says this, The Spirit worked through biblical writers to pen God's Word entirely and exactly as He intended. Just as God spoke the universe into existence, you've heard me say before, the most important words are the first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God. Just as God spoke the universe into existence, so also He breathed out His Word in Scripture. God breathed out His Holy Word. What a gift we have in the Bible. So this is God's holy word. But now that we see the nature of God's word, we see the purpose of Scripture. The purpose of Scripture in verse 16 and 17 is to carry out God's plans. God's word is breathed out so that first we might be born again, but also so that we might be built up. How are we built up? Four different ways in verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, through teaching, through reproof, through correction, and through training. The Word is working in the lives of those born again. And we know that God is accomplishing His work through the equipping of men and women who are called and who are devoted to Him. Through the Word, there is an equipping that can be done only by God's Word. Yesterday, Sheena went to a training for um, the teaching that she'll be doing in the fall through classical conversations. It was an intense training. It was actually the second training she's done uh, this summer, and it was an all-day training preparing her so that she might teach those children in the fall. And so just as she was prepared and equipped, we too are equipped in a unique, special, divine way through the Word of God. 
This is a special, unique, divine way. I mean, we have discipleship classes. There are many good books. There's great podcasts. There's great sermons. There's lots of great resources. But the greatest way to be equipped as a disciple of Christ is to read God's Word. I was talking to a new believer recently about questions that they might have, and I said, I'm, I'm not going to be with you 24-7. That's a fact. Um, but you have the Holy Spirit with you all of the time, and you have God's Word with you all of the time, especially if we have our phones in our pockets. Um, so we have God's Word with us. Let us turn to it and use it. God's Word is better than an ACT prep class workbook. It's better than all preparation books out there. It's the book above all books because it reveals the God above all gods. It reveals to us truth. There is a word that is used here in verse 17 that are a couple words that are used in verse 17 about how God's word makes the man of God, the woman of God, complete, equipped, that equipping and the completion that takes place. There is a special usage here. R. Kent Hughes, I've got a quote here from him. He says, we can't see it in the original Greek, but the word for equipping is used in two different ways in this passage, as an adjective and as a participle. Um, I get confused with those. Ask Sheena later about those. In order to make his point, the man of God is super equipped by the word of God. In a day and a time where we love superheroes and superpowers, we see that the believers are super equipped, that we have all that we need, that we are prepared, that we are ready. As we saw this past week in Second Peter, his divine power has given everything we need for life and for godliness. So we are equipped through the word of God. But if it's the word of God that's powerful to save, powerful to equip us, and powerful to preserve us, why don't we turn to it more often? Why don't we turn to it more often? And I'm speaking to myself, especially here, because it's so easy to think, well, I've, I know that, or I've read that, or what's new in the Bible. There's so many things that we need from God's Word for everyday life. I mean, it's amazing to me, and I know you have the same testimony, that as you're going through a trial, as you're going through a difficulty, as you open up God's Word, this is for today. How did that happen? The Spirit of God. That's how that happened. So why do we not open it more to see the power of God's Word? I was reading a book this past week, um, another book outside the Bible. There are good books that point us to God. And this book was talking about research that was done through a discipleship assessment. It was this fancy, big research uh, assessment that was done. And through this discipleship assessment, it, it surveyed all these different disciplines and which discipline would help us obey and follow God the most? Which discipline, you know, lots of disciplines were evaluated. Praying, attending Bible study classes, meeting in community groups. Which discipline do you think it was number one on the family feud charts, if you will? Reading God's Word. I mean, it's not that shocking. I mean, sometimes you wonder about these surveys, like they needed to do all that to figure that out. But listen to this. As they did this discipleship assessment, if you will, they measured the growth of the disciples, and particularly to different attributes, and it was remarkable. Those who read, it, read their Bibles, not just monthly or weekly, but daily, 
it showed improvement in obeying God, denying self, serving others, sharing Christ, exercising faith, seeking God, building relationships, and being transparent with others. How about that? That sounds like the Christian life. So as we read God's word, we will follow God. We will obey God in all things. So this is what we must understand, the power of God's words. There are tangible results as we meditate on the truth of God. When we focus on the truth, we will rejoice in the truth. We will see the truth as good, as beautiful, as something that we should rejoice in. This is what the disciples did when they saw the truth. And as disciples of Christ, we must be passionate about reading and sharing the Word of God. The writer of Psalm 119 knew the power of God's Word. Look with me in Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And then I love 161 and 162 even better. Psalm 119 says, Princes persecute me without cause. But he doesn't focus on that. He says, my heart stands in awe of your words. So here's my situation, here's my environment, but my rejoicing, my meditation, my delight is in your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil, great treasure. As John Wesley said, at any price, give me the book of God. So as we think about young Timothy, as we think about the impact of his mother and grandmother in teaching him the Bible, let us diligently and faithfully teach our children the power of God's Word. We see it is living, it's alive, we see that it is active, and we see that it does not return void. It accomplishes every single one of God's purposes. Let us pray.